2: Welcome to Non-Contact Time, a podcast about all things educational with Hannah and Kath. I'm Kath.
3: I'm Hannah. So what's on the agenda today, Hannah? Today, in Data, we're going to talk about the release of the Government Guidance. In Teaching and Learning, we're going to hear about rubrics from Kirsten. In Pupils Causing Concern, we're going to hear a funny story from Kirsten. And in any other business, we're going to do some shout outs, and we're going to hear from Ellis, who's from Primate. So let's start data. Kath, do you want to explain what you've been reading this week?
2: Okay, so this week you might want to nestle in with an alcoholic beverage rather than a cup of tea (laughs) because we've had the recent guidance from the government about reopening in September. And I've got to say, listeners, Hannah and I have just had to have a conversation and a debrief about it before starting the episode because there's lots of things in there that we could take very negatively. So we're gonna try and keep it as positive as we can. Um, One of the things that I found really, really interesting, and I will thank the TES for this, um, they've got so many articles that kind of put together the guidance in a nutshell so if you don't want to read the long long document that they've sent out I would jump on the test and just have a read of some of the um, articles that they've put up one of the ones that I found really interesting was the eight return to school rules for autumn you may have missed because I think we've all heard that all the kids have to be back in September they need to have a full curriculum we've heard things about the bubbles which most of us go I don't know how that's going to work. Um, We're obviously still trying to keep social distancing happening, we're trying to make sure that we're washing our hands and keeping safe in all those ways. So what I looked at were the things that we might have missed. So things like, and this is going to affect you Hannah, um, we're going to have to not have singing and chanting in schools because obviously if we have a choir and we have a room full of singers we're going to increase the risk of transmission Um, and things like uh, if you play a brass instrument there's the hygiene issues with that so the suggestion from the government is that these kind of activities either take place outside or don't take place at all. Field trips are allowed but they need to be non-overnight domestic educational visits and where possible with people in the bubble. Supply teachers, I know some of you have been waiting in the wings The good news for you guys is that you'll be allowed to come back into school. The government has suggested that schools minimise the number of visitors coming into school just so that people are not transmitting between households and things like that. But it means that lots of those people that have been sitting around not having employment for such a long time, there's an opportunity for you to have employment again. Um, The avoiding of contact sports. So they even suggest a couple of um, sports that you can't play anymore like rugby, football, football, netball, basketball, hockey um, which means that some PE curriculums are going to have to be completely rewritten and then we've also heard, heard all the news about assemblies being out we knew that was going to happen I think lots of schools are now doing things like zoom assemblies or you could run those in your pastoral time maybe there's lots of solutions for the assemblies thing the one that did trouble me Hannah is the one about uniforms because the government would like students to continue wearing school uniforms where possible, however uniforms do not need to be cleaned any more often than usual or in any different way to normal due to coronavirus. That worries me because I know how rarely some people wash their blazers. It's a bit gross. Um, They have said good news that after school activities and breakfast clubs can continue, however how that's going to look and the logistics of that is really really tricky for schools. Hannah, I know you've been reading lots of stuff on Twitter, have you got anything to add to those?
3: I think it's probably best to unpack a lot of the things that you said first before I start going off on a tangent (laughs) because this could take forever. So, um looking at the guidance regarding instruments and singing and assemblies and p e lessons, I understand why those types of things have been taken out or have been taught to- you know we've been told to avoid them or find an alternative that's totally understandable. however, for a marginalized subject like music and in you know in some cases p e and other subjects that require equipment. That's gonna be a massive blow for uptake at GCSE. Anything that we do at the moment is gonna have some kind of knock-on effect. It might be a knock-on effect on students, they might not be able to do the subjects that they want to do in order to get get into the jobs that they they wanna work in, or they might not be able to get into college because they haven't done certain qualifications. So all this guidance, is great, all the information is great, but we need to interpret it in a way that will support students, will mean that schools are financially viable and mean that staff are retained. With the uniform policy, this is one. This is part of the guidance I do not understand because, like you said, students tend to not wash their blazers very often because they're quite big. You know, some parents might not be able to afford more than one blazer, so students are wearing it for a week, then washing it at the weekend, and then wearing it for the next week. And if we're now going to be sitting thirty in a class in my classroom particularly that's really really close so why would we want students to wear clothes that might not be washed frequently especially when there's a pandemic going on
2: yeah i think also that just thinking about the students they we're transitioning them back into education i think just this kind of going from home learning to school so abruptly for some students is going to be really difficult because they're used to wearing their own clothes. You're going to have students who have grown out of their uniform over the time that um, the pandemic has happened so getting a new uniform could be really difficult. And I know one of the responses to this that the government has given is talking about um, minimizing contact by spacing out children and having desks so that they're facing the front. Now I know in my classroom, my classroom's actually not big enough to put my (laughs) tables in rows. I have gigantic heavy tables that literally only fit in in the way that they're configured at the moment. Saying that they're not going to be facing anyone but they're not in rows like the government suggested and I know that there's going to be lots of classrooms like that. So if you're in that situation where your uniform's coming into contact with the students next to you you can't really safely social distance you can't really sit facing the front then we need to really change up the way we're thinking about the hygiene in that classroom.
3: Yeah I think it needs to be along the lines of whatever you can do as a person to make sure that you're better prepared for the day at school that needs to happen and at the moment because of restrictions and because of the guidance students I know in our school are coming in in their own clothes and I feel that that's more appropriate because it's easier to just slip on something comfortable that you can just throw in the wash as soon as you get home I'm not Mm. too sure what the reason is for pushing school uniforms so hard
2: it's interesting you say that because again one of the justifications from the government I watched the um, educational briefing earlier this morning and it did make me quite cross. And one of the things that Gavin Williamson said was that he wants it back business as usual. He wants things back to normal as quickly as possible. And what I think is interesting about this UK approach to getting things back to normal is it's not taking into consideration that we've had this global event happen to these students. And this really contrasts to the advice given to principals and teachers in New Zealand so I thought if I'm going to look at the UK guidance I should look at what other schools and what other countries have been doing so I know in Australia before the schools were allowed to open the plate the schools were actually inspected by external consultants who then went in and went yes this is safe to reopen we've got no provision like that in the UK maybe it's because we don't have the experts who can actually come in and do that sort of job I think it's to do with the financial implications of that. And then in New Zealand, which obviously New Zealand's done something right because things are going quite well over there, is that they have this website called, and please, I apologise to all my New Zealander friends, my Maori is not very good, but the website's called Terita Toi. And I hope that's how you say it. If it's not, please message me and tell me how to say it. But there's um, four sections to the advice. The first piece of advice that the New Zealand government gave teachers and principals was look after yourself and each other. That's number one. And within that document, they give advice like discussing how to activate further support when it's needed. So things like counselling, financial support, resource material, IT help, leave employment matters, requirements from the ministry or any other agencies which I thought was really interesting, having regular planning catch-ups with everyone to discuss issues that arise and building in times in the days, weeks and months ahead to keep checking up on each other, checking support and debriefing with like-minded people because I think that debriefing really helps. It then goes on to talk about things like Don't tell the children that what we went through will never happen again, instead focus on what we have learned and how we are better prepared. Recognise the many people who contributed to the country's successful strategy and think about making plans, talking about the future and discussing new possibilities as part of the healing and moving forward process in a more positive way. A lot of the New Zealand guidance is based on psychological research that resulted from the Auckland earthquake. It was quite a big event and they looked at um, how students then re-adapted to education and how they then developed as adults as well and one of the things that they said is you can't just go back to normal you can't just pretend like it didn't happen you actually have to acknowledge these things and then move forward Um, and there's uh, quite a few articles that talk about this way of dealing with it which seems just in complete contrast um, to what the government in the uk has said so it said things like teachers should resist the temptation to launch straight back into normal lessons after a major event and that racing back to catch up is about the worst thing you can do Um, one of the things it says is if you keep the kids busy and you try and take their mind off it and try and pretend like nothing happened they're actually going to have adverse effects in the future it's going to affect their learning in the future so if you're talking about a child in year seven. They might then react to this event when they're in year 11, when it's really important to them. Or they may react when they're an adult, but it means that we're delaying that processing and it means it'll be worse in the long run. So it's just very interesting how these two strategies completely differ from one another.
3: I totally agree. I think the British mentality of keep calm and carry on seems to be (laughs) detrimental to everything. It's detrimental to well-being, it's detrimental to improving schools, it's detrimental to um, the families, especially considering that guidance was issued on finding parents who don't send their children into school. I think that is ill thought through. The rhetoric needs to be flipped because at the moment it's very negative, It's there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of people who are talking about financial repercussions but actually the New Zealand guidance talks about long-lasting trauma and we know as educators the effect that trauma has on the brain and on children and if you're forced into that fight or flight mode those children are not going to be able to learn not only will they have maybe trauma and issues from lockdown maybe they haven't been able to get onto the internet maybe they haven't got a laptop maybe they've not been able to do any work but then when they come back into school if their brains aren't switched on if they don't feel confident if their well-being is not looked after then there'll be many 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 more months where students are unable to learn and i don't know about you but after teaching a lot of students through the years who've had trauma the way that it manifests mainly is behavior and behaviour yeah. in a classroom of 30 children, if you've got one student who has who is displaying negative behaviour, it's very difficult to help the rest of that class learn while this commotion's going on. So really Mm. we need to address all of the children in that room, make sure they feel safe.
2: They need to process their emotions as well because they're all going to express these emotions in different ways. Some students are going to become more introverted than they were before lockdown Mm -hmm. because they've had this social isolation for such a long period of time. Like you said, we're going to have behavioural issues as well at the other end of the spectrum. We're going to have all these different ways that it's going to manifest. And then it's going to manifest at different times and I think one of the things that I've really admired about this kind of New Zealand approach is that they've talked about lots of different ways of actually dealing with it as they come up and that's one of the things that they suggest is deal with it as it come up don't make a big deal of it discuss the events discuss their emotions make them feel like their emotions are valid and then you can re-engage them because a lot of the reports about um, the psychological impact talk about there will be triggers for these students and these triggers will be, they'll happen over a long period of time and they're going to be completely unpredictable and we're just not going to know what it is that day that makes them go, I'm not coping. Yeah. So um, the New Zealand guidance, I definitely recommend everyone having a read of it. There's four sections and they are two pages each Um, And they've got some practical solutions for the things that you can do. But it talks about things like maybe talking about um, what has happened through a picture book or getting students to record their emotions on a regular basis so that they understand how they're feeling and why they're feeling that way. And they can almost record it like a diary and then they can see how their moods are improving. But that needs to be the what underpins education before we go you're behind you didn't do any online learning you have all this catching up to do before you put them into a new stressful situation um and i mean the worst case scenario is we're going to give students ptsd from education well you turn
3: turn them all off don't you and then that's the lifelong love of learning that offset want us to generate is just being eroded with every bit of information that comes out. Because if we go back to testing like it was before, how is that going to affect students?
2: Yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree. Um, So it's interesting that you talk about testing because I know a lot of um, the exam boards are getting in contact with secondary teachers at the moment. We know that a lot of the testing that used to happen in primary schools is just going to resume as normal in um, September which really worries me. Um, It's really important that all of us as teachers get in touch with our exam boards and I know that Ofqual is putting around a survey at the moment where you can have your say and I think it's really important that people get out there and engage with these surveys and have your say and make your opinion known because it's the only way that we have any power to change it from the top. So I think that's a really positive way that we can kind of have some sort of impact on the decisions that are being made on our behalf.
3: Absolutely. And I've downloaded the Teacher Tap app as well and been looking at their Twitter page because they're asking loads of really interesting questions and the surveys are throwing out some really poignant results about what's happening during, you know, the The pandemic, what teachers are doing, how they feel about their time in school, how they feel about setting work at home and I think building on those responses will be really important from September especially if there's a second wave and you know, that we might have local lockdowns. It might turn out that schools might be closed for another period of time. So I would look at that app and have a look at the stuff that they put on Twitter, because it is really interesting to find out what other teachers are doing in other schools.
2: So one of the things that I read this week on one of the art forums or art teacher forums that I am on, it's brilliant. It's the best analogy for COVID that I've come across so far, Hannah. It's brilliant. So, When we look at the government guidance it's all very vague and kind of let's throw everyone back into the classroom. But If you're a parent or if you're someone that doesn't really understand how this is working, think of COVID like glitter and you and nine of your friends are crafting. One of your friends decides to craft with glitter how many of you then have glitter on your crafting project now i think this is particularly relevant to me hannah because you know how much i hate glitter (laughs) absolutely cannot stand glitter i once saw a poster that said glitter is the herpes of art and i totally (laughs) feel that way because it doesn't matter how little glitter you have in a room it will be on you by the end of the day
3: this is my favorite
2: (laughs) But I just think it totally works. Every time I do a risk assessment for COVID, I'm literally going to go, if this was glitter, (laughs) what impact would it have on this activity?
3: (laughs) (laughs) On a scale of one to 10, if this was glitter, how much do you hate it? (laughs)
2: I could use that scale it's the glitter hate scale as well as the glitter coven scale
3: you need that you need that in your classroom like on a scale of one to ten one being glitter and ten being no glitter how are you feeling at the moment
2: (laughs) there'll be some children who are really into unicorn and glitter and be like one I'll be like oh are you depressed and they'll be like no I love glitter because I think you're one or the other oh definitely (laughs) on my desk people actually give me objects as a gift that have glitter on them thinking it's really really funny because they know i hate glitter and they all sit on my computer and i never touch them and i never move them just so that they don't (laughs) have any impact on my life but yeah i don't like glitter. i'm not a glitter person
3: never ever tell the kids your weakness you should be telling them (laughs) what you like not what you don't like
2: tell the children i don't like glitter
3: (laughs) (laughs) have you heard about the money to do with extra cleaning
2: no i haven't heard anything about money to do with extra cleaning
3: so schools have said that they have had to employ more cleaners they've had to buy more cleaning products they've got obviously overheads that the budget this year didn't involve and wasn't planned for because you know who would think that this would ever happen and (laughs) (laughs) and apparently the government have said that schools cannot claim back money for any extra cleaning or any extra supplies during the pandemic unless there's a confirmed case within the school
2: oh my goodness so if we think about the amount that people have had to buy or the amount of school that schools have had to buy to ensure that people are safe, to ensure that we don't have cases, they can't have any money for that. Yeah. So, so essentially, we're re- rewarding bad behavior again.
3: Yeah. So, so if you are really thorough in your plans and you've made sure that you are cleaning to the, you know, to within an inch of your life, then hopefully you won't have any cases in school. So then. You won't be entitled to any funding. So actually, that just encourages people not to spend money on those essential things. Because once they get a case, then they can start claiming that back.
2: It's a real shame because ultimately that's going to have to come out of the amount we spend per student. And the amount of money we spend per student is pretty appalling anyway there is actually a school tracker um, that you can actually look up your school and see how much money per student your school receives from the government and if we now include cleaning products into that it means that we're going to have less money for resources like books textbooks Um, online programs, it might even be the platforms that we buy so that we can have online teaching and online homework. There's something is gonna have to give. And it really worries me that the government doesn't seem to understand that. The other thing that um, Gavin Williamson talked about in his briefing, was he was challenged by lots of reporters about the laptops that were supposed to go to children vulnerable children or children in lower socioeconomic brackets and his defense of the government was the LA's haven't applied for it we've given you the money the money's there but you haven't applied for it so if you work in a senior leadership position or you work closely with a local authority you need to be on them about getting those laptops because it's something that they've promised they've put the money aside we need to be claiming it because if we don't the government will then come back to the education system and say well you, you said you needed them but you didn't use all the money so obviously you didn't need the money it's always that kind of everything comes back to us so we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to show the government that we're doing everything we humanly possible to make sure that these students are doing the best they can which we all know teachers do anyway but we need to take it that extra step further so that we don't lose out on this funding
3: i think it's appalling that it, it's just thrown back at schools again as if we've not been doing enough as if <laughs> you know we've got two weeks or three weeks left before the, before half term depending on your school some schools have already broken up and you're now being told that the fact that you haven't got laptops for your disadvantaged children on top of the guidance that was issued this week you know what kind of message does that send to head teachers it's just a 24-hour job and it's not Mm. possible to do everything in that time effectively we need time we need guidance we need support not to be bashed by the education secretary for something that maybe head teachers didn't know how you know how to apply or what to do?
2: Well, the, he also threw back accountability on schools too, saying, This is our new guidance. You've got to now make a plan with our guidance because it is guidance. You don't have to follow all of it to the latter, but you do have to make a plan. And then he said in the briefing that schools have to communicate this before they break up for the summer. And like you've just said, some schools have already broken up, some are going to break up in two weeks. I really feel for the head teachers that are working throughout this pandemic because it just seems like they bring out this guidance in time for the weekend which means our head teachers are now working their weekends instead of spending it with their families and in fact most of this planning is now going to happen over a holiday period which for some head teachers they haven't actually had any holidays particularly if they're a school that's been open during the holidays to take in key workers so you're then going to take away that statutory holiday time to try and put in place the guidance that they gave us at the last minute. Come on, give the head teachers <laughs> a break. Government, they're doing the best they can.
3: I think it's interesting as well that um, on public transport, they're giving away free masks in tube stations, and they want lots of people who are going to be in crowded situations to wear masks, and on the TES there's a picture of some children wearing masks yet the guidance says that if you wear a mask it's disruptive to teaching and learning which I think if you've got 30 children in a room washing your hands once you've breathed in the virus it's not going to make any difference you need some kind of barrier and I'm not too sure why they keep telling us that teachers are not allowed to wear them and students are not allowed to wear them I don't understand why
2: I think if a child chooses or wants to wear a mask they should be allowed to. I think it should be part of that choice. I know from talking to a few um, people that work in the health industry, not necessarily for the NHS, but one of the problems with masks is as soon as you put it on you're not supposed to touch it again. So you don't touch it again until you take it off and I think that's one of the concerns and I get that but isn't part of our job education? So surely if the masks reduce the risk and hand washing reduces the risk and using hand sanitizer, it should just become part of our education program where we're talking about health and hygiene. We talk to children about health and hygiene all the time. It's part of the pastoral curriculum that we talk to children about this. Teaching them hygiene habits from that young means that when they get to secondary, if something like this happened again, they'd be used to wearing masks, they'd be used to washing hands, they're used to hand sanitizing, they'd be used to knowing how to social distance. It should just be part of the program
3: however in primary schools you're in a bubble of 30 plus one teacher and in a secondary school especially if you're a non core teacher i you know i will see over 500 pupils a week and without any no social distancing no masks i've not got access to hand washing facilities unless i've you know i've got hand sanitizer on my desk the advice is for teachers not to meet with other teachers outside of the classroom and
2: oh,
3: I, I won't get
2: to see you anytime soon Anna.
3: <laughs> it's difficult it's really difficult if you're a, a teacher whose partner's a teacher and you've got two kids who are in two different schools you know how are you going to manage that how are you going to manage that at home how are you going to debrief at the end of the day how are you going to do hmm. full staff meetings and i don't understand why i'm not allowed to meet one um one other member of teaching staff but I can go to a pub on Saturday. I, I just don't understand.
2: <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of mad, isn't it? Well, you could go to the pub and debrief with a staff member outside of school. You just couldn't do it within the school based on the government guidance.
3: Which is weird because if I chose to... <laughs> speak to somebody within school let's say I had an issue and I wanted to talk to a member of staff and I really needed support on that day that colleague would be within the same institution so the same bubble if we want to say that groups of 1,500 people are bubbles (laughs) whereas if I went to the pub I might meet a teacher from a different institution and I might debrief with them so then that's mixing two different schools together I don't understand and that
2: seems to be fine
3: yeah and actually what teachers need, especially those teachers who are new to the profession, those people who've done their PGCEs this year and have missed out on huge amounts of the course and teaching time because that because of the pandemic, they need a point of contact within school to talk to, to debrief, to improve their practice, to help them through because your first year of teaching is difficult. It's going to be even more challenging this year. So why are we not allowing people to meet up with You know others who might be able to support them
2: i would even argue as an experienced teacher i need that debriefing we've learned hannah and i have learned through the process of doing this podcast that most people see debriefing as the best way of dealing with their well-being and being able to discard like a really rough day. And as an experienced teacher, if I have a day that's really hard where I have a number of children who've displayed some sort of trauma or they've reacted to something or they've just having those after effects from lockdown. If I have a day that's that emotionally draining, I'm going to need to talk to another teacher. I'm going to need to go and get their advice. Or I'm probably going to have to go and have conversations about safeguarding as well, because there are going to be a huge amount of safeguarding issues that come out of lockdown. Writing something that's really difficult in an email is not the same as having a conversation with another staff member.
3: The tone in an email is so much it's so different the right the writing that I do I feel like I'm able to write in a professional way but you're sometimes very clinical it, in an email but that's the problem it comes across as cold yeah. whereas in real life I might come across in a different way because you can see my body language you can hear the tone of my voice and I wouldn't want to send emails every five minutes to my superiors or other colleagues saying help me this child's just done this or Um, This child's clearly demonstrating trauma. Please, can you have a look? I don't want them to take it more serious than it is, but I also don't want them to diminish it because they're not understanding Mm. my tone in an email. It it really does need somebody in person.
2: Yeah, that's so true. I think the last thing that we should talk about in terms of the government guidance is that time. Um, So one of the things that really bothered me about the briefing was talking about how... We need all this stuff to happen and that we, the government wants everything to go back to normal. And the big suggestion for solutions is staggering time. So what this means is that our school days are going to be extended for all staff members, essentially, because we're going to have to come in early if we've got a year group early and we're going to have to leave late if we have a late year group. So it's going to change our entire school day. How do you think we should deal with that, Han?
3: For a start you know as a school we pay for our we pay for our buses so if we had we have three buses that come from three different locations most students can't get to school unless they get the school bus if we had staggered start times we'd have to pay for more bus slots which might be possible it might not be possible because you know if we don't leave adequate time between the bus slots how's the bus going to get to school and back to a new place to pick up new children you know that's a a real issue Um, for parents who've got children in different schools that's going to be difficult because although the secondary children might be able to sort themselves out you've got to maybe you've got a year three child and a year six child it's just a logistical nightmare it's probably a little bit a little bit different in secondary because you've got the transport issues you've got parents who might have younger um, children that they've got to drop off at a primary school that they've got to sort out it's it's just difficult so they're saying that the wraparound care so breakfast clubs and things like that and after school clubs can still happen so that parents can go to work or they can have a a more normal working day which is going to be difficult because that's not a bubble anymore if you've got a child who's in year seven and they're in a breakfast club and then they go to a different after school club and then they're in different lessons all day that is not a bubble Mm. that's just mixing like we would normally so the I understand why the government want us to have all this wraparound care, but I can't see, without any social distancing, without masks, without adequate access to cleaning facilities and extra funding, I do not understand how schools are supposed to be able to do it. If Gavin Williamson came out and said, look, the science says that these are the things that are going to reduce transmission, I want all schools to do it then I would be fully on board.
2: So I don't know very many schools that have more than one canteen or dining hall. So the breakfast clubs are so important. For some children, that's the first thing they've eaten in the day. It sets the tone for the day. But if you've only got one dining hall, one canteen, then your bubble's already burst. And I think that's a real problem. And I think what it's gonna take is it's gonna take leaders that are really innovative and creative to try and negotiate this guidance guidance and come up with a better solution than the government. So if you do know of anyone that's a fantastic leader, a great head teacher, maybe it's a senior leadership team, maybe it's just someone that's come up with some great solutions, please share them with us because we want to share them with other people. I think everyone's a little bit perplexed by this guidance at the moment um, and we'd really appreciate people feeding back to us about this issue and all the things that we've talked about and there's probably even more issues that people are going to raise from our conversation today Hannah so please engage us with the conversation talk to us on Twitter Instagram or you can email us noncontacttime@gmail.com.
3: We've also got a LinkedIn now. So we're on LinkedIn under non-contact time podcast. If you want to get us on there.
2: So in teaching and learning today, Hannah interviewed Kirsten on rubrics. Let's listen to what Kirsten has to say.
3: Describe the best type of students to teach
1: really inquisitive student I think the best type of student to teach. Someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously you can get a good rapport going with the uh, with the student. But yeah, Someone really inquisitive who just has that sort of excitement for whatever it is they're doing no matter what subject who just really loves life. That's the best sort of student to have in front of you especially in a music classroom. Oh definitely, definitely agree. Um, <laughs> What's watch your classroom pet peeve? Miss what we're doing today. <laughs> as they walk in the door <laughs> even worse is when i've had them trained for a while into the way that i like to do things and they know that the first thing that happens when they come in is i will outline what's happening in the lesson so they know what's coming up in the next 45 50 minutes but yeah miss what we're we doing today <laughs>
3: sit down. i'm sure they just Look use, the use that as a conversation starter they don't oh, like, I think they, they say said, the most uh-huh. random things to me to start off with <laughs>
1: I think it's just a bit like, hey, how how you
3: doing, how's the weather? Yeah. It's just
1: what they say coming into the classroom.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next one is, what's one thing you'd like to change about education as a whole? I would like to change the prominence of the arts in
1: primary school and the funding of the arts uh, in the primary sector. I think as someone who's, you know, spent most of my career in the secondary sector, I've been quite frustrated sometimes with the lack of prior knowledge or just incorrect prior knowledge that the students come into us in year seven and especially with that narrowing of key stage three now that you only really have year seven and part of year eight and then they make their option choices. And with the changes to GCSE, just how much you have to try and cram in to essentially four terms really, um, is quite outstanding. And actually so much of that can just be avoided by good quality teaching um in the primary sector. And that's something that I think that's secondary colleagues that we've got a real responsibility to help with and providing that um if we want to see the benefit
3: of it we have to support it and we have to help it absolutely i totally agree what's one thing you do to look after your mental health or to unwind at the end of a day no i don't do enough of
1: it and that's um, to do sudoku Oh, oh yeah. terrible. is that right my accent number puzzles um <laughs> I don't and I don't do enough of it uh what I do tend to do more often is just sleep but if you can get yourself past that sort of toddler bedtime and stay awake past that it is nice to just I like to do some number puzzles brilliant as a music teacher there's not a lot of quiet in your life
3: <laughs> <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about you know your job and how you came into teaching Yes, Um, I'm
1: currently Head of Music and Drama at a Boys Prep School in London. Um, As you can tell, though I'm not from London originally, I am a music teacher by trade. I trained uh, at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, as it was known then in Glasgow, and I taught in Scotland for a year. I've been down in London uh, for the last 10 years now, and I've worked primarily in secondary schools this is the first year that I've moved into the the prep school
3: system. How are you finding that? Because I've been secondary for my whole career and I've done bits Mm. in primary like outreach projects and things, what's the difference between prep and secondary or primary? Um, I think the, the difference between prep,
1: there is a difference between prep and primary certainly but the great benefit of prep is that you've still got your seven and eight so that's what, I'm, you know, you're used to that from the secondary sector, but having um the year three, four, five and six, especially and doing that one to one specialist music teaching with them is so beneficial because you're really getting the opportunity to uh, embed, you know, the subject specific knowledge right from year three. Um, and so obviously, as you can see those students as they're progressing, that that rate of progression so much faster than it is uh, for those students who when they come into the secondary sector have had very little in the way of primary school because it's just time and that's something that in the prep school you're really lucky you've got time with
3: the boys that's brilliant so in a nutshell what is a rubric a rubric is a marking grid
1: so it may look like a table you know like from Microsoft Excel or from a Word document so it looks like a table essentially and it has lists of evaluative criteria and it has lists of quality levels and there's the criteria for each level and then you can just apply that to whatever assessment task that you're doing and it gives you a nice visual representation of what you're expecting from the students and
3: then once you've completed it a nice visual representation of what the student has produced. Fab. And how do you develop it? Do you look at what you want the end result to be or do you start from the rubric and build your scheme of work over that? No, no, you start from the rubric's really
1: um, not quite the last thing that happens. Um, There's two main types of rubrics. You've got a generic rubric and you've got task-specific. So you may well start the whole thing with a generic rubric. Um, so thinking back to the old national curriculum levels, were essentially a generic rubric. They gave you an idea of what each student should, should achieve at each level for each criteria. So it might be performance or analysis skills. Um, so you maybe start with a generic rubric, and then that informs the content that you're going to teach, and then you develop your schemes of work, and you develop the assessment criteria uh, or your assessment task around what has been taught. So, you've got your generic rubric, you teach the scheme of work, you design your assessment task and each assessment task can then have their own task specific criteria. So it is actually assessing specifically what has been taught. Oh brilliant. So, rather than teaching to a predefined criteria, you are
3: marking, you're creating the criteria around what has already been taught. And how do you find students kind of tackle these rubrics? Do you think they find um, having really clear success criteria easier to achieve? You know, higher results to push themselves further. How does it? How does it translate for those students? Certainly, in my experience, um, I did a little bit of investigation
1: at my last school as I I heard recently, it's not research until it's published. So I did a bit of invest, not research, but investigation (laughs) previously um, with two different classes. One, I gave them the criteria maybe on lesson four of a nine week block. Others, I gave it to them. The very first thing that we did at the start of lesson one and the student feedback was that they preferred getting um, their performance task criteria right at the start because it told them what they needed to do. Because the criteria tells them not only what they have to do to achieve step one or step two or whatever you want to call your quality levels, but also what was lacking. So, you know, your performance may have elements of X, Y, and Z. However, it's not yet fluent or it's not yet, um, or, you know, or both hands, you're not using both hands together on the piano or whatever. And so they found it much more helpful because they could see clearly what their journey was rather than the students who you give them the piece of music and they're practicing and they're learning this piece of music, but they don't actually know until Lesson 4 how it is that they're being assessed. So there's um, some, there's been an awful lot of research um, into Using rubrics, and it's certainly something that is very, very much used in America. Every state has their teaching standards or uh, strands or whatever it is that they want to call it, and that's what all the, their teachers have to work towards for their standardised tests. Um, so subjects like ours, like music, um, quite often we get forgotten about in you know these sort <laughs> in these sorts of things. But actually, for music, we we've been working towards rubrics for so long. Associated Board exams, all of these performance exams, you know, they have to be marked somehow. They're all being marked against a rubric. They're all being marked against the you know, the quality of sound produced, the, the fluency, the rhythmic accuracy, the intonation, all of these things. Um, it is just a rubric.
3: Fab. And you don't just call yours like step one or level one, level two, level three. You've got really nice names for them. Yes.
1: My pre- it came from my previous school, and it was I was part of the the marking subcommittee um, that came up with this, um maybe about four years ago now, and we use emerging, developing, securing, and mastering uh, for each uh, for each topic, each activity, whatever it is we're doing. There are four levels. Um, people say you can't do differentiation by outcome, but uh, <laughs> there are four levels of uh, of work, you know, for the, it's just a scaffold, you know, it's a, it's a scaffold for them for the students to move through. So sometimes, um, the thing is I am now at my new school using step one, step two, step three, step four, because they don't use them at all. And so it's something that I'm introducing and, you know, we're, um, I'm doing it, My own department and i would really like to work with other departments and see how we can support each other with this but i'm just trying to take everything back to the basics and the genetics and you know uh, back to the research i suppose really into take off some of those extra bits that every school tinkers with it and makes it their own you know so but yes i do like the emerging developing securing mastering and it's really good for putting your planner as well because you can put e d s m in your planner for your markings that's quite easy
3: that's really good i um use i call it success criteria it's probably kind of a more rudimentary version of rubrics but Mm. have you heard of radial diagrams yes so I use them around the outside of the radial diagram so that when I like put the
1: ism yes just like
3: that yeah Yeah. so when it comes to marking it's so much easier and quicker because you can just go around in the lesson and just tick it off or circle it or whatever um, I find it so much more effective because the students know what they're doing, they know how mm-hmm. to move on to the next level and they can work independently if they want to and if they don't, if they need a bit of support, then obviously I'm there then, which is great. Yeah,
1: absolutely. When you're wandering around, listen to somebody playing the keyboard, kick, highlight, whatever. Mm. Now I do it all on uh, my iPad. I'm about mm-hmm. as paper free as you can get from a music teacher. And actually since I've been away, I left school one day uh, before lockdown with a cough and I and I didn't go back until Monday and I had everything because I had my iPad and everything was on Google Drive <laughs> you know and I, it was great because I just I didn't have to go back in school I had absolutely everything I needed it was all there on Google Drive and I'm now just I'm at the point of having to order it for next year and I don't know if I'm going to bother I might just say we've got sets of iPads, so I might just stick with it you know the, when I was off sick for two weeks before the lockdown, put all the work in Google Classroom, the boys were playing um, piano from the iPads because it was a new piece of music. The, I said to the cover teacher, don't bother printing it, they can just open the PDF. So They've all been playing off their iPads. They've been doing it at home now in lockdown, playing off their iPads. So um, it's quite good. I might Brilliant. try and be as paper-free as possible because there's no excuse. Nobody can ever lose their music. You know, they can mark up their own copies online but when you've got the ipad as well you just go around you just i use Seal as an app there's other lots of other ones but just that is american so it's rubric based you just tap 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 as you're listening to them and you can send it to google classroom as a pdf so you can share it with the boys you can
3: email it to parents straight away email it to boys straight away it's great that's great do you record you know, performances as well and i do do they have access to that or is that just for you tomorrow um
1: at the moment I've just been doing it on uh, for myself because I can attach it to their file and just on the register and I don't see if you just you can record it straight into the app. Um, although now that we've been in lockdown, they have been sharing recordings with me as well because I've been editing together videos. Um but these boys are quite happy to share recordings with others. Whereas I have worked with kids who are not that happy with sharing them. And I always used to say, I'm just recording this. For me, it goes into a folder, in case anybody ever wants to check that I haven't just made up the grades. <laughs> you know, um, but I think it is a really helpful feedback tool for the boys to record themselves to to look back on it. Um, certainly we used it a lot when I was teaching uh, drama at GCSE and A-level. You know, we used it an awful lot. We used it an awful lot with the BTEC course. But sometimes I find Key Stage 3 can be a little bit reluctant. Um, and so, you have to pick your battles sometimes. You know is it better just to get that instant feedback from yourself and from another you know from another student than sort of trying to talk to them by making them watch
3: watch themselves back again <laughs> but yeah it's certainly having an the ipad there just makes it so much easier that's really good i'd love to have ipads for every student i think do they have them um is it just because you've got a class set that stay in your room or do they have them uh, you know and kind of around you've the got at points around
1: the school so uh, there's one there's right outside my classroom um, you know, we've got a set in the library, we've got a set in French, a set in science. So we say class sets, they don't take them with them around the school, but there's enough for almost every class to use them simultaneously. But um, there's no point in getting enough for everyone to use them simultaneously because never, it's never going to happen. Yeah. They're all going to be using them. Although actually, have we come back after lockdown now, people might <laughs> use them a bit more, uh, I don't know. But certainly, um, that is actually the annoying thing, is that they have to log out. Whereas if they just had their own one, it would just go with them and that yeah. might save might save some time. Because our license are only 50 minutes, so it does sometimes eat in uh, to your time a little bit. But even if you didn't have iPads, um, the iPod Touch is really good for you know it's just like an iphone really really good you can still put google classroom on it you can still put google drive on it and you can do a quick recording with that and upload them straight to google classroom um or whatever it is that they want to use to keep your files so a couple of ipod touches if you can uh
3: shake down your it team for them could be just as useful <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant thank you so <laughs> can you give me an example of how Uh, of a rubric that you've used in your classroom and how that might work. Yes, Um,
1: so I have a generic rubric which covers EYFS to Year 8 and it has 11 topics or themes on it I suppose. So musicality, um, composition skills, pitch, that sort of thing and then a sort of descriptive comment of what that looks like at each level. So I use that in terms of informing my planning so that I make sure that I am actually teaching all of these skills when I'm planning my units of work. So I always bear that in mind. But then we have a task-specific one. So, for instance, um, year six uh, at the start of the year, their first unit was the Baroque era. And so we learn about the Baroque um, period in history. We listen to some Baroque music. We look at instrumentation like harpsichord, and they also play um, Vivaldi's Spring on the keyboard uh, to build those, you know but those two-hand keyboard skills. And so that criteria may well say, in the first instance, um, that they can play the melody. However, some the contour might have some errors. So they may be playing the wrong octave in some places. And then the next level would be that they are playing the melody correctly, the rhythm is correct, uh, all the notes are correct, the contour is correct, the octaves are correct. You know, the next step, they've added in the bass line. You know, they now have that proper two hand going um, and it's it's in time both hands uh, are synchronized it's all correct basically and then the last level um that they have either done sort of you know, the b section you know so it's an extension to it or they have a, done octaves in the left hand and um, so it's usually when we get to the top end it's a little bit you know you can now do this as well or you can do that as well its um, yeah, so that's something that we use for well something similar I suppose for all of the keyboard based uh, activities. Now we do I uh, have written all this up because it, I know that we're talking about something that's quite visual. <laughs> so I have written, <laughs> which is a bit difficult. Um, but I have written it all up and I will publish it on my blog. so when people are listening to it, they can look at it online as well or they can you know they can uh, follow up after they've listened to the podcast with having a little look through the visual examples as well brilliant what's your blog address teach
3: brilliant any suggestions on how you could apply these rubrics to other subjects
1: yes uh obviously i mean i've led as a faculty leader i've led uh, on on drama as well so we have an awful lot of um extended writing in the the drama course now, especially when you get to A level uh, in essay writing, it's really helpful for extended writing pieces in languages, in drama, Uh, even uh, subjects like um, fashion textiles, design technology, uh, art, they still have to write evaluative pieces. And so it can be very difficult to apply um, marking criteria of any description to something that requires a subjective um, input so I mean you'll know as well as I do when you're marking even in the music exams or the in the GCSE or the A level the the BTEC you get a marking grade at one point you know zero to two you know no um, no content worthy of marks and so on we already see them in the um, exam papers so it is something that can be used across every subject at every level if you want the student to produce something that they, that they may need to work on over an extended period of time, then they need something to guide them. So the good thing about rubrics is that they're neither formative nor summative by their nature, it's just how you apply them. So I use them formatively. Uh, Same with you with your success teacher, use them formatively throughout the unit of work and then they just become summative. The student does a final performance at the end, in front of everybody else, with a class concert and you know, you've already filled in your rubric because you've seen them perform so many times, you go, yeah, well that was better, right, bump them up a grade or that was a bit iffy, bump them down a grade. You know, (laughs) it's right there in front of you, it's really easy to do. And it's the same for absolutely every subject as well.
3: Is there any research that teachers can do to help them create rubrics for their own lessons?
1: Yeah there's loads of them um, there's loads of research out there a lot of it is behind um, paywall so if you don't have access to um, some of the journals then it can get a little bit pricey but there are some really good articles that are free um through Eric uh, E R I C I'll give you some people here actually Dr Popham um, what's wrong and what's right with rubrics, um, published in the Educational Leadership Journal in 1997. A bit of research into how we can apply rubrics and that is still um, still a really important piece of research and that is available. And Torrance in 2007, he talks about assessment as learning. Um, and so he please caution a little bit on the use of rubrics he talks about the journey from assessment of learning through assessment for learning to assessment as learning uh, and so it's quite good to read that and get an idea of um how you can how you control the rubric not the rubric
3: controlling you and your teaching that's really interesting thank you very much
2: thanks so much kirsten um you can find kirsten on twitter she is at teach underscore music underscore ldn so you can find out um what she's been saying about other things in education and she also has a great article on tes um, that's linked to a really really mindful poem so check her out on tes as well
3: in pupils causing concern we're going to hear a story from kirsten I remember my I Remember my very very first, um, no it was my very first,
1: uh, it was probably my second teaching observation and I was in secondary school and I would arranged all my group performance, um, uh, if I remember rightly it was Michael please home and I still have it. <laughs> uh, still, got the, still got the old Sibelius 2 file and all the outs But yes, yeah, so I've got all the kids set. Up. I've got my bass guitars in the corner. I've got a trumpet over there. Probably, you know, I've forgotten to put it into B flat or something. Pro trumpet blur, trying to transpose because I haven't done it properly. All, everybody's all set up and I'm just running about like a headless chicken. And, because um, I'm, you know, the, my ITT instructors are just are sitting there like, oh, whenever you're ready and I was rushing about like a headless chicken and there was a big old radiator with a big pipe coming out of it and I just caught my toe on the pipe. I went by the full length of the classroom in the middle of my observation. And I think I was back up before I hit the floor. Um, and I was like, fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you know I mean? you're just, You're so nervous. You're just running around. And it wasn't until later on in the day. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I think I broke my toe. Oh my <laughs> <God. gasps> it was so, it was massive. It was so swollen. It was purple. I must, my foot was just agony for ages afterwards. <laughs> There was nothing I could you know, there was nothing I could do. I think pure adrenaline got me through the rest of the the rest of the observation. And I think it was by the skin of my teeth, if I remember <laughs> if I remember rightly. My poor toe. And I, I promise you, I haven't gotten any better. I hit myself on the side of the head with my own javelin at Sports Day a couple of years ago. whilst well, demonstrating uh, clearly what I thought was the best javelin technique to my form class. I'm so competitive. I um Oh God! What else have I done? <laughs> <laughs> I have been taken from every every school that I ever worked in. I have been taken away in an ambulance.
3: <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> that is a claim oh. to fame. That is a that oh is it brilliant. is.
1: I saw the inside of a E three times during lockdown already. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> none of none of it COVID related. I fell down the hill uh, <gasps> in a car park.
3: Oh my gosh!
1: put my toddler in the trolley and i did wait for her in the trolley made the trolley run down the hill oh and i ran i ran after the trolley and tripped over somebody caught her and the trolley and i just like tumbled down the hill oh my gosh <laughs> And spent the day getting my face and my kneecap rayed
2: <laughs> oh no
1: um, yeah so i mean if there's something stupid to happen in a school i'm usually <laughs> i'm usually involved <laughs> somehow <laughs>
3: In any other business, Kath, you had something that you want to share with us?
2: So, this week I actually participated in CPD Connect Up through the Teacher Development Trust. If you're getting our podcast on Wednesday, you've got a day to sign up to the last one, and I cannot recommend it enough. Um, The one that I attended was on diversity and inclusion, and it was so amazing to talk to these panellists, to talk to other teachers about their experiences of diversity and inclusion and in fact there was actually some discussions about what exclusion looked like in school which was really interesting but I can't recommend it enough and it's free CPD, you can sign up on the Teacher Development Trust website and it's called CPD Connect Up it was absolutely fantastic they've also got some workshops happening in October and we're actually going to hear from David next season because we've already interviewed him for next season which is really exciting.
3: So David Weston is the um, founder of the Teacher Development Trust and that episode is really interesting talking about CPD, talking about how important it is and talking about how to do it properly in a way that will further the development of your teachers, make them feel satisfied in their jobs but also supporting the learning of students and making sure that every school has students who make excellent progress.
2: They also have some free tools on their website that you can use if you want to see how your CPD matches up against other schools. So there's actually a benchmarking tool. And I think that's really worthwhile to those people who lead CPD in their schools, because you can actually see how much other schools are spending. So do check that resource out. It's absolutely fantastic. Who do we have on the show next week, Hannah?
3: Next week, we've got Ellis from Primate. And I have to issue an apology because I made the trailer for this week's episode and I put Ellis on this week. And actually, he was meant to be next week. So I'm really sorry, Alice. I'm really sorry. But he is going to be talking about this fantastic coding software that students can use for free. It's a whole wraparound service. There's stuff for teachers, there's stuff for parents, there's stuff for students to learn. And coding is such a fantastic resource. There's loads of information in there. We were talking about how it's cross-curricular, how you can use the resources in any subject. And I think it's really, really useful for students particularly in the current climate where we don't know what jobs are going to look like in 10 years time in 20 years time a lot of the things that we're preparing students for right now in education might not exist by the time they graduate high school or college so it's really important that they have good problem solving skills and they understand how to work through issues they are au fait with technology so this package delivers that and listen next week to find out how you can access it for free
2: it's also already on our Facebook page so if you want to click the link and find out more about it before the episode you can check it out on Facebook and we've also put some information on Instagram as well because we were pretty excited after speaking to Ellis so
3: yeah absolutely (laughs) when we get
2: excited we start (laughs) hosting
3: so after that introduction we're gonna leave it to Ellis to talk about his favorite teacher
0: yeah, I know you ask this one. And for some reason <laughs> for some reason I didn't prepare an answer. <laughs> you just wanted to be spontaneous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who asked the question? You are, Kath. You're my favourite teacher. Um,
2: someone <laughs> yeah. I, I, to say it was me.
0: <laughs> um, so for me, it's I'm going to say it was my French teacher, Mr. Rocks. Gerard Rocks, still friends with him at the moment. Um, He... uh he had a way of working which brought French to life, where it was more physical, it was more interactive. He lived and breathed it himself, so he was always going off to see friends in France, and so he 'd come back and we 'd hear about his travels um, and For me, that really brought it to life and really helped me to experience what it was about um, and to understand it and there wasn 't a lesson where where it wasn 't gregarious, you know, he, he wasn't just a French teacher that told you vocabulary, you repeated the vocabulary, you had to learn it. There was this um, animosity about the lessons that really helped them to help me to feel that it was a living, breathing language. It wasn't just words that I had to learn. And I think that teachers like that are the ones that I remember. They're the ones that helped me to develop into who I am. Um, and, uh, and, and have the view that I have of education and why I want to bring that back to, uh, to maybe places that, that need a little bit more of it somewhere.
3: Thanks, Ellis.
2: Also this week, we've been getting some lovely feedback from our listeners. So thank you to those people who've been sending them in. We've had some feedback via Facebook, via email. Make sure you keep adding them to Apple Podcasts as well, your reviews, because we are going to put together a summer package for teachers. I feel like every week this prize is getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> but we will um, we will be sending out a goodie basket to the best review that we get on Apple Podcasts or via email, or via Facebook. So thank you for all of that feedback. Big shout out to um, feedback that I got from a teacher known as 50P. It was lovely to hear from you and I'm so glad you're listening. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all your lovely comments. So listen out next week. We'll be talking to Alice from Prime 8. Um, Thank you for listening to our rants and our conversations about the guidance. We hope it hasn't been too depressing. And we look forward to sharing some more non-contact time with you next week. Bye.